Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy For Me. And after saying last week that I very rarely or hardly ever recorded these things on a Saturday morning, I'm now doing it for the second week on the spin. Now that's largely because uh, I had a relatively full-on day yesterday uh, in uh, in London and got back very late and it just I, I couldn't have even faced doing it when I got back last night. So um, I'm up early um, and I'm ready to go. And I'm going to be a bit croaky, but I have got a cup of tea, so we'll see how we get on. And of course, that means before we can start, we have to have a little bit of that uh, that twangy guitar. <laughs> It's been rather like old times uh, today because I had um, meetings in Milton Keynes scheduled, um, which meant, and because I was meeting a colleague down there at around about 10 o'clock, what it meant was a, a relatively early an early start. So it was a sort of just before 7 o'clock, um, 6 o'clock alarm and a just before 7 o'clock leave, which isn't ridiculously early by anybody's standards I'm not suggesting that I've done anything particularly heroic there but for somebody who's not done that for such a long time uh, and yes through the summer I get up early and go for a run but it's not quite the same as being sort of vertical and packed with a bag packed because it was an overnight stop um, and ready to leave the house at sort of seven o'clock on a Monday that's that's it's a long time that's since that's happened for me Um, and obviously that's pandemic compound um i mean had there not been a pandemic i probably would have traveled more through the period than i've i've traveled so um but for whatever reason i probably the first time in over two years i've i've got up and done that that kind of cycle um and everything came flooding back um in terms of the there's something about a monday a monday morning drive where you um you know you've got so you build in. I I built in thirty forty five minutes worth of of time. It was a hundred and forty mile um, sort of drive. So realistically, I always work on the fact that's just over a couple of hours. Um, so um, and then there's a little bit of getting to and from the motorway. So call it a two and a half hour drive under normal com- conditions. Uh, so you build in sort of you know half an hour. Um, because it's a commute, because it's involved in the commute. And then, of course, what happens is you, you switch the sat-nav on um, and then you realise that that half an hour you've built in is nothing like enough because it's not that there's a big problem somewhere. It's there's just lots of little niggly five-minute de- delays in lots of different places. And and you kind of you put the sat-nav on as soon as you set off. So you kind of already know if you're going to be late four hours before you're going to be late or three hours before you're going to be late which was something that I always kind of struggled with back in the day that it didn't matter how early you got up and how early you set off for for whatever reason um, you could find yourself you know running late when theoretically you'd got more than enough time to get to where you needed to to get to but fate was conspiring against you so I had I had that come back in abundance which you know which hadn't happened for a while and then it was nice to have a day of just doing meetings it was interesting because of the places I went to and the people I went to see they were in huge empty office blocks Um, you know the both places I went to uh, which are big um, musical instrument manufacturers um, 
essentially everybody's still at home um, and people were coming in for a couple of days through the week and obviously a couple of days through the week for most people doesn't involve a Monday or a Friday. So, you know, I arrived at particularly at the first one and this is a huge building and there was literally nobody there apart from, uh, you know, a, a couple of people sort of skeleton and then the person that we were we were going to see who who'd gone in on that particular day because we were going. Um, so it was it was nice to kind of do that kind of thing, but then weird at the same the same sort of time. Um, and it's not the first time I've I've been back staying in a hotel. I've done that a couple of times, um, and it was very quiet. Um, I was astonished how quiet the hotel actually was. I didn't. I I kind of thought December maybe, but no, really really quiet in the in the hotel. But it reminded me how much I love. Um, the Moxie Hotel. So the Moxie Hotels are, are a Marriott brand and they're kind of like Marriott's take on um, a Holiday Inn Express um, or a Premier Inn. So basically, you know, a more standardised breakfast service, um, a, much, a, a reduced, you know, fairly low level evening meal service to allow it to be done by a, a much more reduced staff. You're not running a full kitchen. Um, and, and with more of a kind of a pick up and go mentality and you, you know, you get in, you, you, you pay for your room when you get there and all those kind of things, which are associated with things like the, you know, the premier and what have you. So, so far easier in and out for run as streamlined as it's possible to run a hotel. But what I like about the Marriott version and the Moxie is it's a, they're a funky little design. Um, it's all, you know, it's all kind of slightly dim, um, sort of um, decor and lots of pink neon and I'm a sucker for pink neon so um, you know and just lots of nice touches very you know they, they sort of empower their staff to you know to do lots of nice quirky things and you you know you were offered a drink when you got there and they couldn't be more helpful and they, they got that kind of bit that Pret have got where as I say they empower the staff to, to do things if they think it's the right thing to do and I wandered into my room uh, which is great, and the, and the rooms are really, really well appointed, and the, the Wi-Fi is fantastic, and you know, really, really well thought through. Um, and there's a message for me written in um, silver uh, marker, um, sort of like a glitter marker thing on the mirror, um, and it's just to me thanking me for for choosing Moxie and thanking me for being a a, a Marriott, you know, um, elite member. And, and and just wishing me a great stay and just though you you it's hard to say how important those little moments are and though and you know and and that little moment was really really important it just I got in it made me smile it made me feel like even in a, an environment like that which is designed to be um something that can be managed really easily and not be necessarily personalised, that actually they'd taken the time and the trouble to personalise that particular moment, which was which was fab. So I'll try and post the picture on... In fact, I, take, I took a photo with a view I'd post it on Instagram, never got around to it, so I'll try and remember to do it today. But those those just those little moments they, they you know they do they do actually make you feel special it might seem like a contrived thing to make you feel special but the fact is whether it was contrived or not it did make me feel special tuesday six o'clock tonight and it all goes wrong for boris because the video that's um, been leaked today is of uh, a a kind of practice dress rehearsal press 
session uh, in number 10 and they're referencing the party that number 10 has been denying's happened uh, for the last week. So a week ago, obviously, we found out that there would potentially have been a Christmas party in number 10 on the 18th of December of last year, uh, at a point when the rules didn't allow that to happen. Uh, that's been blown open today by this video clip uh, from a few days later, which essentially confirms that there was some form of event at number 10. Now, obviously, number 10 has been really, really vague on this particular topic because in one, one breath they've said all the way along there wasn't a party and then in the next breath they've said but if there was anything it it fell within covid restrictions now of course that's you know that that's paradoxical obviously um and to, and we've added into that paradox today by essentially saying you know there was a party there but continuing along the line of well if there was you know it, it was just cheese and wine so it wasn't a party it was a business business meeting and surely that was fine um it's it's blown the whole thing wide open and i think without a shadow of a doubt this is this is absolutely going to cut through in fact it was already cutting through on social media um this evening there's been a very very big backlash to this um and it's uh there's, there's absolutely no doubt this is gonna this is gonna really really rumble on um but the bit I, I kind of struggling with is why this this government and particularly this man and i know because i know the answer to this it's a, it's about exceptionalism it's about entitlement it's about not feeling the need to have to explain yourself but this constant default position to try and cover things up which by their nature are not cover upable if cover upable is a word um, and, I, and I can't help thinking that's exactly what's going to play out this week. Wednesday. I could spend hours ranting on about everything to do with the fallout from this event at Downing Street. And I think it's the fallout that's probably a darn sight worse than the event, but I can I could go either way on that. Um but what I want to focus on is two things that have happened today. The first is Gary Neville. Uh, Gary Neville, who has um, about 5 million followers on Twitter, um, laid out the, the, the order of the day in the Prime Ministerial playbook this morning. He basically, early doors, said to everybody um, that was taking note of him, the PM's going to do two things today. He's going to announce uh, an inquiry, uh, into everything that went on around the 18th of December and therefore kick it into the long grass in a hope that by the time it comes back we've all forgotten about the implications of what happened. And he's going to announce some form of Plan B COVID restrictions um, because that's the only dead cat he's got left. That's the only thing he can throw down to divert attention from the thing that he wants to divert attention from. And of course, in this case, that's interesting because he he knows there's a hardcore at the right um, of his party or a hardcore in his party. I don't know whether I should classify them as the right to the right of his party, but he knows there's a hardcore um, based around people like Steve Baker and this COVID recovery group, and everything seems to have RG at the end, um, who don't want the imposition of more. 
um, um, measures that they believe are restricting people's freedoms. So he knows that there's a whole load of people that will look at whatever he puts in place and will get very exercised about that. And in doing so, will stop talking about the thing that he doesn't want people to talk about, which is the one rule for one and one rule for another that continues to go on and that the party on the 18th absolutely, um, you know, shows in its 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 true glory. And, and it was fantastic because now we do know the playbook. What's really nice is the number of people who are pointing the playbook out and they're pointing it out before the event. And this is the thing. We know what he does, but we need to start calling it out before it happens so that when he does it, it very obviously is the thing we expected him to do because he reverts to type all the time. So fair play to, to, to Gary Neville this morning for calling that out. And secondly, fair play to Keir Starmer for having a brilliant PMQs today. Keir Starmer made the Prime Minister look remarkably um alone he was squirming it was an awful abject performance by the pm it was bluster that made no sense it was um statements that that didn't ring true uh the the, the hollowness to what he was saying was incredible and starmer just calmly put the point across and absolutely absolutely held him to account uh, in a way that he couldn't he couldn't deal with um and it was interesting because not only did one side of the house go after him, his backbenchers went after him as well. There were there were plenty of people today who 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 were not happy with the prime minister, and that's only going to get worse because there are going to be plenty of constituents in plenty of seats that start writing to their MPs, particularly in the Redwall seats where they feel they've lent the Tories their vote, who are going to be very annoyed at what's going on at the moment. So uh, all power to Gary Neville. Um, for, for for highlighting these things and continuing to push these things out because there are 5 million people who maybe didn't know about the PM's playbook who absolutely do because of him um, and we need that kind of cut through and secondly, fair play to Starmer for you know getting, getting everything right today uh, and if you haven't watched the PMQs you should watch the PMQs um, particularly because Lindsay Hoyle, the, the, the speaker, also gets very, very annoyed later on um, with another part of the, 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 you know, the Boris Johnson playbook, which is to announce things not to government or not to parliament, to, but announce them to the country first, which is absolutely the wrong way of doing it. it has no respect for, for, for the House at all. So um, if you've not seen it, try and watch it. Um, that's a couple of the the, um, the points where Starmer was talking. Uh, you could have heard a pin drop, and I think that really talks to um, the, the 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 what the nation's feeling. Uh, if I'm being perfectly honest. Thursday. Three things. Three things to talk about today. One is one is some poll stats. Um, the first one is some poll stats, and um, I just found this. Fascinating, slightly amusing. Um, 9% of the population believe Boris and think that he's telling the truth and that there wasn't an event, wasn't a party, wasn't something down the street on the 18th of December. Which obviously means that 91% of people don't believe him. Well, that's a relatively damning statistic in of itself. But 9% of people do. 
Um, but at the same time, uh, when I read that st- uh, statistic, it was um, it was framed with a second statistic, which I thought was a really, really amusing way of doing it. And that is that 7% of people believe the Earth is flat. So if you're looking at the 9% who think that Boris is not lying, there's a very good chance that 7% of that 9%, so three quarters of that, those people, also believe the Earth is flat. Um, and I think when we think about the kind of person that believes Boris, what we now know, potentially, because they could be totally different, just because it's 7 and 9, there doesn't have to be any crossover, but let's assume there's a bit of crossover, just for the sake of comedic license. Then those of us who think he's a clown um, and can't quite believe that 9% of people actually believe him can take some comfort in the fact that of those 9%, three quarters of them probably also think the Earth is flat. Um, which is, which, which made me smile. Um, I I achieved my thousand miles running for the year today. Uh, first time I've ever managed to do a thousand miles running in a year. Uh, still got a bit of time left, so I might get up to about a thousand fifty. Would see how we get on, but certainly well over a thousand. So that was a that was a nice thing to to do. Um, and it averages out at 20 miles, uh, I think it's 20 or 21 miles uh, a week. And I average out at four runs a week, which is what I try and do. So the, so there's no, it's, it's not a mad couple of months in the middle and then nothing either side. It's a relatively consistent build. Um, I tend to run a little bit less in the early part of the year, a lot, a lot of time just down to light and weather conditions. And I pick up and do a little bit more in the summer. So I mentioned it through the course of the year. I got back on track sort of june july time and i've just been on track ever since um but but it's it is largely it's largely you know planned out and and and, um consistent over the year which is you know which is which is nice and then the other thing today the third thing was uh, we took a an electric car out for a test drive took a vw and id3 and it's and it was great. It, it was um, it drove really well. It felt really solid, which I think is the thing that until you drive one, you don't know. You kind of think it might feel a bit plasticky or a bit lightweight, but it didn't. It felt very very solid, and 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 took it on um, around town, but also on the motorway, and it felt great. And I, you know, certainly would you know would have no hesitation in in looking at a, a, an electric car. Um, the only downside is that. Um, had we have wanted to have ordered one today, then we're currently on a 40-week lead time. So um, saving the planet is, is, is going to be a little while away yet. Friday. I spent the day in London, had a meeting in London and, and went down on the train um, and I've just got three takeaways from a day in London. Um, actually, let's go four. Let's go four in the terms of it was back to being busier than or certainly being the kind of amount of people I would expect in the city in December. Not as busy as I would have expected. I, I had a, a real long walk round and certainly not as packed in Covent Garden or what have you or Leicester Square. As, as probably a fortnight before Christmas would have been normally, but still nothing like it's been on the odd time I've been down in the past. So definitely, definitely busier, okay? So, um, but let's leave that one aside. That's a kind of a thing. So here's my three things. Um, and I like things in threes. Don't know why I like things in threes. I just like things in threes. So let's take threes. Okay, first first one, 
for the first time, I had coffee in Russell Square. Now, I like to walk from King's Cross uh, through Bloomsbury, uh, across Russell Square, British Museum, down into the West End or into Holborn or whatever. And I, and I know it's probably not Holborn, it's probably Hoburn, but anyway, we'll leave it as it is. Um, and, and often I'll have a coffee in Bloomsbury. Uh, and there's a few shops in Bloomsbury, a few independent coffee stores in Bloomsbury, very very pleasant. And I'll often have a brew there. Uh, didn't today. Had a brew in, uh, had a had a flat white um, in Russell Square, in one of those. It, it's it's the, the kind of things you expect to see in a in a park or what have you. So it's kind of a, it's not a shed obviously, but it's a it's a wooden glass fronted. There's probably a name for that kind of building. Um, in, in a park, it will have a proper name, probably ends in Urium of some description. But the, the, there's, a, and it was an Italian coffee uh, shop, and it was a very nice, um, very nice flat white. And I sat outside and, and, you know, watched the world and watched the squirrels and, and watched a man who ordered a bottle of wine that came with two glasses, which is impressive because it was only about 11.30 in the morning. And, I, 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 I suppose I initially thought, oh, there's two glasses. There's a, there's a, there's somebody who's you know likes it, likes a glass. Probably got the second glass to make it look like he's not going to drink a bottle of wine on his own. But actually, I sat and watched this man for about half an hour, and and by the time I left, he hadn't opened the wine, so he was clearly waiting for somebody, and he kept looking at his watch and his phone in that kind of feverish way that you do. Not feverish, but that way that you do when you're waiting somebody and you think that you've been stood up. And I felt really felt for him in the moment because actually to spend, you know, a lunchtime drinking a bottle of red wine in Russell Square, yesterday was the day to do it. It was absolutely the day. It was a crisp day. He was wrapped up warm. It would have been the day to do it. So I do hope whoever he was meeting turned up. But it was still, as a first, it was nice to have a coffee in Russell Square. Secondly, I met a colleague um, in Waterstones, in the Waterstones that's just off Piccadilly Circus. And if you've never been, you should go because it's a beautiful building with a lot of shades of Art Deco. Um, and the, and there used to be and, and the, well, it still is, but it wasn't. It was closed yesterday. A really great kind of reading room on the fourth or fifth floor, and I've had meetings in there before, and it's absolutely fantastic. Just this big space and lots of sofas, and you know, a really kind of weird space for central London uh, in terms of. Normally, you go for a coffee in a in a in a store in central London, you feel fairly cramped and and what have you. And this is a lovely big space. So unfortunately, that was shut, but there was a nice a nice coffee shop um, on the lower ground floor and we were able to spread out and had our meeting and it was it was great. So if you've never been to the Waterstones um, just off Piccadilly Circus, then if you find yourself in London, go because it's worth a wander around. In fact, I stood waiting for uh, waiting for my friend and um, read, the, you know, the first half dozen pages of the first stave of Christmas Carol. Um, and there's something about standing in a bookshop reading a book that's still quite special so that was quite nice and then the final thing apropos of nothing but it 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 was something I didn't know I was on the train waiting to come home and it was it we were clicking towards the point when the the train should leave and um and it didn't and we ended up leaving five or six minutes late and there was a little bit of kerfuffle um and and I heard a little bit of uh, sort of shouting outside the the carriage and then a load of people you know, three or four people just kind of stormed through um, the, the 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 carriage I was sat in, and the next thing we have a, an announcement goes out from the driver 
um, not the driver, not the driver, is it the guard, um, who said who apologised for being late, but actually said this is because um, they'd have some passengers who'd arrived late for the train. So the trains now shut their doors, you know, a minute or two minutes before they're due to um, set off. And these these passengers had stood outside the train and refused to move away from the carriageway. Refused. So they were clearly... They clearly must have crossed the yellow line. And I think from what I was gathering yesterday, you have to make sure that the yellow line on the platform is clear before you're allowed to for the train to disappear from a health and safety perspective. And these people refused to leave. So therefore, they ended up having to open the doors and let these people in, even though technically they were late. Now, the interesting thing was, what I didn't know was that you can't just open the door. Once the train's done its departure procedure... They were saying that once the doors have been closed, that locally they can't be opened. It has to be opened at one point by the train manager at the other end. And the obviously there'd been some fairly heated conversation go on before they realised that the only way they were going to be able to leave and that these people would, would you know, would would I well they were they were never going to leave the train so the only way they they could resolve the situation was to let these people in which obviously over a period of five minutes put the train lane and I was chatting to um I was chatting to one of the, the the staff on the train and she was telling me that a there was nothing they can do about it locally once the doors are shut there's a whole procedure in place um but b um the fines that that will probably cost that train company thousands for not being away on time. And of course, the not being away on time in this instance was the down to people not arriving for their journey in enough in enough time. Um, so, but it's the first time I've heard it called out. This the 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 guy who did the first announcement, the train manager did the first now announcement, called it out twice. He said it, then he repeated it, and he repeated that. The train was delayed because certain passengers had arrived late for the train, and uh, and had refused um, to to move away from the, the the train. And the only way to resolve the standoff had been to delay the train and let the passengers in. Now we can have a we can have a debate about. Well, hang on a minute. If my train is sixteen forty eight and I arrive at sixteen forty eight, then I should still be allowed to get on. But of course, that argument doesn't apply with a plane. If you if you get there for a plane and your plane leaves at eighteen forty eight, then you will need to be sat down and ready to go at eighteen forty eight, and all the checks will need to have been done. So it does throw an interesting dynamic into this whole thing about you can't just run for the train anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I'm 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 not quite sure how I still feel about this one, but I'm going to leave it out there. I'll leave it hanging. See what you think. But it's the first time I've come I've come across it it, it happening. So. Uh, so I don't know. I'm gonna to have to watch out for it again in the future. Um, I hope you're well. I hope you had a good week. Um, and I will. Uh, I'll. I'll. I'll speak to you. I'll speak to you all next time. <laughs>